Hebrews, the fifth chapter. I'm not quite sure exactly where we're going to end up. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Usher will be more than happy to bless you with one. But how many of you know it's important that our eyes fall upon the Word? And I have been... How do I want to say that? Lord's been ministering and dealing uh, with me concerning the time and the season that we're in. Um, it is, I think if you have any natural perception, uh, you can begin to determine that things are getting uglier and uglier in the world. Uh, you don't have to be a spiritual giant to begin to discern uh, what's happening. And with that, it is becoming more and more important that the body of Christ begins to hear uh, what is being said. And so Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 And if you've got uh, the Amplified Classic version, if you throw that up on the screen, I'd greatly appreciate it. Concerning this, we have much to say, which is hard to explain. And he gives the reason as to why it, it, it becomes hard to explain. He says, since you have become dull in your spiritual hearing and sluggish, even slothful in achieving spiritual insight. Now, on Sunday, we read that it is the glory of God to conceal a thing and it is the glory of kings or the honor of kings to search it out. And so we began to get clarity on the concept or the understanding that God begins to hide things and he likes to hide them for you to find them. And so when you find spiritual truths and spiritual things, how I many of you know the secret things belong to him? But there are things which are revealed uh, that are being revealed and will be revealed and constantly being revealed that God needs us to walk in and to discern, to understand, and to begin to facilitate change in the world in which we live. And so what has begun to happen is uh, he's saying here, which largely it's believed that Paul is the writer of Hebrews, uh, although there is some debate as to who the author of Hebrews is. Um, he says concerning this, he says, we got a lot of stuff we want to tell you, but it's hard to explain. And, and I want you to think about something. Imagine trying to... Uh, explain the theory of relativity to a five-year-old. Imagine trying to explain how money works to a three-year-old. Now, once you understand it, it's not complicated to the one who needs to explain. It is, however, complicated to the one who's hearing it. And what he was saying was, I got some things that there's more to say to you. There's things I want to share with you. There are things I want to tell you. He said, but because of how you handle information, 
the level in which you can process information, you make it hard for me to talk to you. That's what he's saying. He says, since I have become dull of hearing, you. And he's writing this. And as he's writing this epistle or this letter, you understand he cannot be talking about natural hearing because he is not speaking, he is writing. And so it gives us some clarity that he says your spiritual hearing and your sluggish or lazy at seeking or achieving spiritual insight. So notice the first thing he's telling us here is that the effort for you to understand is on your side. The effort that needs to be put forth, the work that it takes to begin to understand what's going on is on your side to do so. The challenge with most Christianity is people are very much lazy about seeking after the things of God. Oh, if you get into trouble, trust me, there's no one that you are hot after more than God. You'll shape up, you'll stop drinking, you'll stop smoking, you'll stop doing all kinds of stuff when you really need God and your life is in jeopardy. But that's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about being hot after God and in pursuit of Him, even when things appear to be going well. Are, are, you, are you understanding what I'm saying? And so uh, it is funny how people, well, no, never mind. Concerning this, we have much to say, which is hard to explain, since you become dull in your spiritual hearing and sluggish, even slothful in achieving spiritual insight. Verse 12. For even though by this time you ought to be teaching others, you actually need someone to teach you over again. So you already taught. You already know better. You've already been told. He says, but what you need is for me to say the same thing over and over He says, you have come to need milk, not solid food. Notice time. He says, even though by this, what? Open book test, you ought not flunk it. Even by this, so notice something. Time or chronological time is not an indication of spiritual growth. He said, by this time, in other words, in this chronological span of time, you ought to know better. You've been around it enough. You've heard it enough. It's been taught to you enough. So then how can you continue to hear the word and not make an adjustment? You have to be dull. You have to be lazy about the pursuit. If it's the honor of God or the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it's the glory of kings to search it out, then did God hide it to mess with you? So then when we hear things like, uh, this only applies to whom it was given, or if he has ears to hear, let him hear. Then we begin to realize something, that God is very clear that not everybody is going to get it. 
So he wants to know which ones are the ones that are which ones are the ones that are going to be hot after? Which ones are the ones that are going to be going after the things of God? Or are they playing, you know, uh, spiritual hokey pokey? They've got their left foot in, their right foot out, and they just want to shake it all about. And, you know, this is not popular. This is why pastors usually don't go down this type of road. Um, but y'all already know I don't care. Because at the end of the day, I, I answer to. And I don't want to pastor a bunch of refugees. I want to pastor a bunch of spirit-filled, tongue-talking, Bible-believing warriors in the army of the Lord. So we can do major exploits for him and his name. That's what I'm all about. And how many of you know that you can't be a part-time Christian trying to fight a full-time devil? Because he will whoop. And, and the truth of the matter is this is why some people are getting their tails handed to them now. It's because they're part-time Christians. They want to be Christian on Sunday morning. They want to be Christian on Wednesday And then they wonder why the rest of the week they are just getting their brains. Do you hear me? See, because the victory comes when he is revealed. See, the, the, the nature of revealing uh, something, it, it helps you to understand it if you see it this way. You can't force me to reveal something to you. I have to, number one, be willing to reveal it to you. And number two, you have to want. And as I reveal to you what it is you want, then revelation occurs. And the problem is information without revelation will never lead to transformation. Most people, the reason why they're not changing is because they have information that has never been revelation. It's never hit them like a ton of bricks. It's never hit them in that moment where you go, oh, my God, I get it. How did I miss this for so long? He said, it's because you're dull of hearing. You're not going after the things of God like you should, and it has caused you to become dull. Do you know uh, a lot of people, I, I, you know, a lot of people know, if you know me, you know I love to cook. And did you know that a lot of people are afraid of very sharp knives? They're very much afraid of very sharp knives. Do you realize that most accidents happen with dull knives? Not a sharp one. See, because a dull knife requires additional effort and, and, it, and it doesn't always work out the way you want it to because it's so dull. And so the danger is not in being sharp. The danger comes in being dull. This is where mistakes happen. This is where mishaps occur. This is where I thought I had it figured out. God, I thought I heard from you. God, I thought that I got this right, and I moved in what you told me to do, and it didn't work. And then people want to blame God for it. Now that they done, you know, the knife done slipped, 
They done chopped off, uh, uh, you know, their pinky toe. And you're like, well, I'm now God is mad at me, and that's why I cut myself. No. You're dull. You didn't hear it correctly. You didn't process it properly. Because if you had heard it and processed it, and you were seeking after it, God will reveal it is the glory of him to conceal a thing, and it's the glory for kings to search it out. He wants you to reveal or to uncover the things that he has concealed, not from you, but for you. There are deeper things that God wants you to have and to understand and to know. The greatest need in your life is not a job. The greatest need in your life is not more money. The greatest need in your life is not more stuff. The greatest need in your life is not a husband or a wife. The greatest need in your life is more understanding of God so that you can become skillful in the things of God so that all the things you desire shall be created by God in the realm of the Spirit. That's why he said, lest the Lord build the house, they that... Well, wait a minute. If the Lord's going to build the house, then why do I have to labor? Let's, let's, uh, hallelujah. Blessed be God forevermore. My iPad's telling me I got to do something that I don't want to do. Get on my last nerve. So bossy. Psalms 127. Put that in the uh, Amplified, please. Psalms 127, verse 1. Psalms 127, verse 1. There we go. Except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Except the Lord keeps the city, the watchman wakes, but it's in vain. Keep going. It is vain to ride up or rise up early, to take rest late, to eat the bread of anxious toil, for he gives blessings to his beloved in sleep. You mean to tell me that God blesses me in my sleep. See, I <laughs> it is my desire to, to have Swiss bank accounts. It ought to be yours too, but it's, it's, it's mine. I'm not going to speak for you. I'm going to speak for me. And I'm going to tell you what Swiss bank account stands for. It stands for sales while I sleep soundly. See, I believe, <laughs> where are you going? <laughs> I believe that God has the ability, according to his word, to bless me in my sleep. Is that what his word says? So while I am sleeping, the blessing is still at work on my life. Yes? Okay. So then if he says, unless the Lord build the house, they that build it labor in vain, then you understand that I can labor to build what God has not built. I'm going to labor anyway because I have to build it. 
He said, but if I build what God has not constructed, then I'm going to labor with no purpose whatsoever. In other words, I'm going to be working at it and getting nowhere. I'm going to feel like I'm stuck, like it was all worthless. Why was I doing all this? It was all for nothing. And then here's what Satan will do. Satan will start coming in here. Hey, you know this is for nothing, right? You know you're faking the funk on a nasty dunk, don't you? You know this is a fraud, right? And if you're not careful because the fruit's not there, because fruit comes, vanity means with no outcome. If you're producing fruit, then all you are doing is not in vain. Vanity can only be present when there's no fruit from it. And so here he says, go back to verse 1, please. Except the Lord builds it, he who labors, they do it in vain. Except the Lord protects the city, keeps and guards you. You can be up all night long with a shotgun and a Rottweiler guarding all your things. And it'll still disappear on you. This is why people who are spiritual hoarders, where they think, you know, here's my way to prosperity. I'll just save every single nickel. You know what I'm talking about. People so tight, they squeak when they walk. <laughs> right? And, and, and they think that the way that I'll get there is I'll hoard every nickel. When they write their tithe check, they, they write down to the penny. They don't give anything above and beyond that because that's just too much. I won't have enough. So they guard what they have, and they spend all of their time on the defense, guarding, trying to protect the city, never realizing that if you did this God's way, He'll protect the city. And I don't care how you slice it, no matter what you do, there is nothing you can do to protect the city. There's nothing you can do to protect your bank account. There's nothing you can do to protect your marriage. There's nothing you can do to protect your family. There's nothing you can do to protect your kids. There's nothing you can do to protect your income. There's nothing you can do. He said, if you're following my blueprint, if you're following my plan, lest I have built this house, you can do all of this stuff. You can work your fingers to the nub. You can get 10 jobs. He said, you still won't have anything because until you do it the way that I tell you to do it, you will not have anything because the ones who do it the way I say, they can go to sleep and I'll bless them in their sleep. I'll bless them when they're not thinking about it. I'll bless them when they're not even focused on anything concerning me. But because they follow my plan while they are sleeping blessings are still coming while they are sleeping I'll watch over their house while they are sleeping I'll watch over their money while they are sleeping I'll watch over their family while they are sleeping I'll watch over their children because the blessing Amen. he said but if you want to stay up late the Bible says God never sleeps did you know that 
Ain't no sense in both of us being up all night. <laughs> I, remember, I remember one time I'm, when I moved first, literally, I think I was in Arizona maybe a year or two. And I had never seen an Arizona sewer cockroach. I hadn't. Never seen one before. And so, you know, back east, a cockroach might be an inch. Right? I mean, maybe. And that's a big one. And I was out traveling, and uh, I came home. I hadn't, I hadn't been home probably in about a month. And so I came home, and uh, I got in bed, and I got up in the middle of the night, and I turned the light on, and this thing <laughs> was coming up out of the sink. And I guess, I guess if water doesn't run down your pipes for a long period of time, depending on where you live out in the city, they can actually work their way up through the pipes if you have not had water. And like I said, I haven't been home in a month. And so here this thing, which looked like alien versus predator, <laughs> had to be about 10 inches. I mean, it was about 12 inches. <laughs> I mean, it had to be about 16 inches. If it, it was two feet if it was an inch. <laughs> so I went into the kitchen, grabbed the can, raid, came back, sprayed it, and, and, and it began to gargle raid uh, <laughs> as if it was mouthwash. So, so I, I, I beat it with the can. <laughs> I'm like, if, if the spray in the can won't work, the can itself will. So I, I killed it, uh, you know, I, I manned up. <laughs> I didn't sleep all night. I called, I called three exterminating companies in the middle of the night, and one of them said they open at 5 in the morning. I called them at 5.01. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Had them out there by 8 o'clock. And I, I mean, I just, you know, it, 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 it worked me good. But how many of you understand, I was up all night long. I mean, with one eye open and my fist balled up. <laughs> now, I want you to understand, the reason why I told you that story, number one, is because uh, I needed some of you to laugh. Because some of you just look way too serious. But the thing I want you to understand is I had no spiritual understanding at that time. And so I did not know that I did not have to be up all night long. And, and I want you to understand, because some of you, you know, the bills come, the situations have come, and you toss and turn and you're up all night long. And you're struggling because you're trying to get an answer that God has already given. <laughs> if God has a blueprint, I want to know before I build an entire house. This word house means a system. Uh, in other words, have you ever heard of like someone will say, uh, my last name is Herndon. It comes from the name Henrodon. It's a, it's a modification of the uh, name Henrodon. And the Henrodon name 
they would say things like the house of Henradon, right? And that means everybody that's ever been in that system or in that family, uh, they call it the house of, right? And that just replies to, uh, that applies to every single person that is in that system or in that family or carries that name. Does that make sense? So when you talk about God building a house, how many of you understand there's a system that God wants to build in your life, whatever your last name is, the house of. Because, see, when I say the house of Henradon, I want you to understand I'm not speaking now to just a few people. I'm speaking to a legacy. I'm speaking to a system. I am speaking to uh, generational wealth. I am not talking about just a few people who live in one home. I am now talking about an entire system that is birthed out of my family. This is why people struggle so bad, because they do not have the ability to hear the blueprint. So what they want to build is what they deem. In construction, you will uh, usually when someone builds a house, if they don't do it in cash and they do it with financing, uh, the bank usually sets up what's called a draw system. And the draw system is if your house is a half a million dollar house, they don't give you a half a million dollars until you get after it. They will figure out what the stages are. So it might take $100,000 to build the, the foundation and lay the plumbing and get the electrical to the house, and then they have a checkpoint. They'll come out, they'll do an inspection. So if it's 100 grand, they'll give you 100 grand when you first start. And then when you are ready and you say, okay, we've reached the first checkpoint or the first milestone, they come out and they inspect it to make sure, and then they write you another check for 100 grand. And that might get you to build the walls and some of the finishings or whatever the case may be. And then they come out and inspect it again, and they write you another check for 100 grand until they have reached the point where they have paid for the entire house. Do you understand what I'm saying? So then, could you imagine what it would be like if you built something because of how you wanted it built and the bank came out and said, no, nah, this is not going to work. We want our money back. Then you've built the house in vain. And now you're in debt. Now you're in a loss. Now you're hurting. Now you're struggling. Now you don't know which way is up. Now you're trying to figure out how do I get out of this jam. That's why they do it in installments. To keep you from hurting. Because the last thing you want to do is to be so dull in your hearing that you build a house the way you want it. Never realizing all the while God is just not that's why the Bible says there's a way that seems right unto a man. Do you realize there's things that we do in our lives that seem right unto us? <laughs> he said, but the end of it is death and destruction. See, you have to be careful what plan you are building your life with. What are you constructing your house with? What are you constructing your legacy with? What are people going to say? I personally believe, and, I, and I've 
I'm a little hesitant to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway because I, I believe it. And you can agree or disagree, and that's fine. This is not Bible. This is me. I believe that there is a curse, not in the sense of curse of the law or anything like that, but I believe there's a curse that is passed on generation to generation of having to start over. When you look at people who have extreme wealth, usually it is because they have had generational wealth. Something has been passed on. And, and so it's unfortunate, particularly among minorities, that when their parents die, there's nothing left. They're having to do a car wash just to bury it. And nothing, they've worked all of their lives for nothing. And then nothing gets transferred, nothing moves to the next generation, and I just, it's terrible. And so when I think about the house of Herndon, I think about generations. I think about, will my child have to work 40, 50 hours a week to go to school? Or will my child have a choice as to what school? I'm thinking in terms of if my child decides she don't want to go to college, will there be businesses under my purview, under my ability to say, baby, what business do you want? What do you want to do? You want to do this? Do it. You want to be a designer? Do that. You want to do whatever it is you would like to do. I'm not going to force you to be a preacher like some whatever. I want my child to do, my children to do what God wants them to do. If it happens to be a preacher, that's great. If it's not, I'm fine with that too. Whatever he's called them to be, I'm good with. But I want them to have choices. And the only way choices can happen is unless I build the house according to the plan he's given us so that there is a legacy. Legacy means that I begin to think beyond myself and start thinking about what am I going to do about generations. In, in the 1970s, they stopped teaching. There used to be a time where if you went to high school, you could get a, uh, a degree and a certification in some type of skill. So if you wanted to be a welder, you could get a certification in welding, come right out of high school and go on and build a career or a lifestyle with a skill set that you had. Whether it be an electrician, whether it be a mechanic, whether it be uh, a butcher, a baker, or a candlestick maker. Around about the 70s, they did away with that. And what they started to do was to send people to college to get an education that really doesn't apply to any type of skill. Now, there's some serious implications to that. One of them is that now that you don't have a skill, you become a cog in the wheel. You are not the wheel, you're a cog in the wheel. 
Now that you don't have a skill, you've got to find somebody else to work for. And if your skills change with society, so does your income and your ability to live. So now you've got people who have more degrees than a thermometer and are flipping burgers at McDonald's. I could I did that when I was 14. I'm trying to help you to see something. Because it's it's important that we see the plan. The world has a system. It's called the Babylonian system. And the world is not working with you. It's working against you. And it's ever so subtly working to bring you to a place where you will never get out ahead. And so you'll never leave a legacy. And if the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just, that does not jive with what's happening today. Satan would rather push all the money into the hands of the Bill Gates, Warren Buffetts. Satan's helping with that, to make that happen, to keep it out of. And while people run around in the church thinking, I'm supposed to be poor, I'm supposed to have nothing, and all people who have, you know, they're, they're just evil people. They stole it from somebody. They've All the while, he's trying to keep you from building a house. And he keeps you located, fixated on nonsense. So that we got to teach you the basics over and over and over. So that we come to church and we rally around the battle cries and we rattle around the Christianese and we rally around all the things that that stir in us a, a good feeling. And we walk away saying, man, pastor was on fire. And never realizing that it was never about pastor being on fire. It was about you. It was about you needing to have five homes. Well, that just seems excessive. It seems excessive to the smaller mind who doesn't realize the reason why you need five is so you can sow four of them. So that you can be available for kingdom purposes. Do you think that people who run for office and spend millions and millions and millions of dollars, do you think they use their own money? Somebody bankrolls. Why would people bankroll something like that if it wasn't about influence? Why do we not have Christians in office? Because Christians is too busy being broke. Too busy wondering why would I need this and why do I need that? You don't need it. 
But if God whispered in your ear and said, I want you to give a million dollars to so-and-so's campaign because they're, they're of me and I want them in office. <laughs> cricket, cricket. <laughs> See, this is why we can't be dull. We've got to be sharp. We can't be keep going through the same stuff over and over and over again. It's time for us to grow up. It's time for us to move to the next level. It's time for us to develop in the things of God. It's time for us to walk in victory. It's time for us to see that God has a plan for our lives. It's time to shake off the nonsense. It's time to get rid of the folks that are pulling you down. It's time to check your friendship circle and say, I can't mess with you anymore. You really are not going where I'm going. I got to get keen and sharp in my hearing. I need God to speak to me every step of the way because I I'm building some things. And if I don't build it the way God told me to build it, then I'm doing it for no reason. And that's why I struggle with my life, wondering what is my life about? Why on earth am I here, God? Vanity. If you knew purpose, if you understood the purpose in God, if you understood the ways of God, if you understood what season we are in right now and what God wants to do upon this earth, and He wants to use... He said, but, verse 13. He said, for anyone who continues to feed on milk is obviously inexperienced. I'm sorry, not this one. Uh, let's go back. Hebrews. Sorry. For everyone who continues. <laughs> you give meat. Right? It, it, it's, it's funny because my, my, my child started walking last week. And yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. <laughs> And, and but it's funny because if there's a long distance to cover she'll drop down and crawl <laughs> she knows how to walk right she's got it I've seen her do it she can walk a far distance 20-30 steps no problem but if she sees it's a far distance and she estimates I can get there faster by crawling she will drop to her butt and crawl and she'll be getting it. <laughs> you understand that we should get away from the crawling. So every time I see her do that, I grab her and I pick her up to her feet. And I have her stand there. Why? Because anyone that continues to use milk, when you've been introduced to Anybody that continues to crawl when you have now learned how to what what if what if <laughs> what if you was having a conversation with Tani and you're walking and she stops? <laughs> right? And so you're walking and you're talking to her and then you go, wait a minute, where's she at? You go, Tani, come on. And she drops down and crawls to you <laughs> and then gets back up. You would be like <laughs> Why I going to play? <laughs> Tawny, what are you doing? Then why do you keep going back to milk? Because it's the same thing. 
God's like, I'm talking to you. I got some things I want you to do. Come on, walk with me. Let us reason together. He's like, would you come on? And you drop down and you start crawling. Watch this. For everyone who continues to feed on milk is obviously inexperienced and in the doctrine of righteousness of conforming to the divine will in purpose, the way you think, and your actions. For he is a mere infant, not able to even talk. He says conformity to the divine will. What is the divine will? The blueprint. That's the Lord build. He's like, so if you want to build a successful life, you're going to have to get the blueprint. And if you're going to get the blueprint, you got to sharpen up on your you got to quit being so dull because he's trying to lay out the blueprint. And as you hear the blueprint, you begin to, as he says right here, with his purpose. In other words, what's the reason? With his uh, thoughts, your thoughts are his thoughts, his thoughts are your thoughts. And with what you do or how you act. Or your actions. All of that becoming conformity with his will. You start working the divine plan. As you work the divine plan. Some of you the reason why the business hasn't come yet. Is because you won't do his plan. The reason why the idea hasn't happened yet is because you won't do it his way. The reason why the relationship hasn't corrected itself is because you won't do it his way. And you're over here professing and confessing that I'm greater. The greater is he is in me and he's in the world. And you are getting your brains beat in by the one who is in the world. And everything you are waiting on, all the manifestations that you are trying to see and come into have not shown up because you won't go according to the blueprint. And so now you've got the sewer coming out the roof of the house instead of out the foundation of the house. They come to inspect it and go, you're going to have to tear this thing down and build it all over again. I don't have time to tear down what I just built. I want it built correctly from the jump. So that as I walk into things of God, as life begins to come at me, I am thoroughly equipped and thoroughly furnished to do all that God has called me to do. So when the problems come, which they will, I am ready for them because I trust in my God and I built the house on the rock. And when the winds come and the storm comes, my house will still be standing. Because I built it according to spec. I have his divine will. I understand the purpose. I understand his thoughts. I understand the actions I have to take. I'm not a baby. I can talk. Keep going. Verse 14. He said, but solid food is for full-grown men. Those whose senses and mental faculties are trained by practice. 
to discriminate, to distinguish between what is morally good and noble and what is evil and contrary, either to divine or human law. Notice the definition of what is evil. Anything, anything that is built that God didn't build. It's contrary to his Distinguish between what is morally good and noble, what is evil and contrary to divine or human law. There's no middle ground. There is no middle ground. You are either going to be in his will or you're out. Because some of you, you know, <laughs> it's like... Uh, the Apostle Paul was riding on his horse. He got knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus. And on his road to Damascus, he, he uh, ran into Jesus. Jesus knocked him off his horse. And he came up and said, uh, who is it, Lord? In other words, I know who you are now, but what do you want? Because only you could have knocked me down like this. Paul wasn't no weakling. Paul was a soldier. He was killing Christians, murdering them, beheading them. Paul wasn't no punk. It wasn't no little gust of wind knocked him off. He knew whatever it was that hit him, he got hit. Paul got struck with blindness. Not because God put sickness on him, but God was trying to give him a new vision. And the fastest way to steal a person's vision is to give him another. So God took his vision, said, I got a new vision for you. And he said, now I want you to go and find um, Ananias. He said, he'll pray for you and you'll get your vision back. Not a pastor. Not a prophet. But a Holy Ghost filled man. Who was in his house praying when Paul showed up. Some of y'all just miss what I said. Because some of y'all are too busy trying to be Paul. And you had no realization that Ananias has just as much credit for who Paul became. But I digress. So here's my point. When Paul got knocked off of his horse, he didn't jump up and say, I'm a changed man, so I think I'm only going to drink two beers today. God's working on me. Y'all don't understand. I killed like a thousand Christians last week. I think I'm only going to kill about five this week. Hope. God's working on me. When he got up, he was done with. There's no recording or record of any way, shape, or form of him harassing or killing or murdering not one more Christian. He had an experience with God that was genuine, that was real, and it forever altered and changed his life. Now, I'm not talking about just people that are struggling. I'm talking about people that explain their struggling as if they have had an experience with God, but it wasn't good enough. 
God's still working on me. I'm a work in progress. Why do you require so much time to do what it is you know you should do? Why every time God says, come on, you drop down and cry? It's funny because when, when, I, when I minister places, I put my faith in the covenant that God has with me. In other words, I put pressure on the covenant. So many people, they want to put pressure on their church. They want to put pressure on their family. Well, I'm struggling. I need money, so let me borrow it from the church. Let me borrow it from you, Pastor. You, you look like you have money. Let me get it from uh, so-and-so in the church. They look like they have money. They're a successful businessman. I'll borrow money from them. And they begin to put pressure on people and systems and things instead of putting pressure on the covenant that they have with God. And so now what they are unwilling to do because they justify it through the means of saying, well, God's still working on me. Then they begin to apply pressure. Pastor, I need you to counsel me. Pastor, I need you to lay hands on me. Pastor, I need you to pray for me. I have no problem doing all of those things. But there comes a point where you better learn how to lay hands on yourself. There comes a point where you better be walking into your own house and saying, devil, you have no right to any of my stuff. I rebuke and bind you right now in the name of Jesus. You shall not have my children. You shall not have my finances. You shall not have my marriage. You shall not have but no, we got to put pressure on pastor. I need pastor to come. He prays better than I do. Are you kidding me? There is no greater anointing on my life than it is on yours. You got the same unction from the Holy Ghost. It's time for you to do what you are lazy about doing. He said, I hide the stuff so you can search it out. I I want you to be aggressive and get after some things so that I can move that when you open your mouth I move with you you've been around long enough circling this mountain pastor uh, can I borrow $20 sure here let me come give it to you I have no problem helping people. I help people all the time. I really do. Some of you may know about, some of you don't. But the truth of the matter is, I put the pressure on the covenant. It ain't your responsibility. Whether the money comes in or doesn't come in, whether we hit goals or don't hit goals, I don't come up here before you, all right now, <laughs> let's read the budget. <laughs> I don't do that to y'all. Why? Because the covenant ain't with you. <laughs> the covenant is with my... And if he can make the rocks cry out, even if you get upset, 
and withhold your tithe and all the things you would do. He will cause it to come from somewhere else because I put my pressure on the covenant because I understand I'm not dull of hearing. I can hear what the Lord is saying. I'm building the things God's asked me to build. I'm hot after the trail, and I know you want to do the same thing, so let's come on and do it. Let's stop worrying about the nonsense. Let's start building the house that the God wants to build so that we can be successful in the thing that he's called us to do so we can go from victory to victory, from faith to faith, from glory to glory. Sitting around talking about, well, I'm still trying to figure it out. Dear God, really? Now we got to teach all this stuff all over again? I remember the story of a pastor. He was pastoring, he was a new pastor to a church, and he had just taken over the church. He preached this awesome sermon on Sunday. And the next Sunday came around, he preached the exact same sermon. Next Sunday came around, preached the exact same sermon. So the board, you know, the board's like, okay, hold on. I know this dude's not a one-trick pony. He got to have another message in him. So they don't say anything. Next week comes, he preaches the exact same message. So they pull him into a meeting, and they say, look, you have preached the same message for four weeks in a row. He said, yeah, and if you get it, I'd move on. <laughs> You've got to be tired of hearing the same things. You know how you're dull of hearing? Here's how you'll know. When you hear certain subjects come up and you just, it just makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. You are what the Bible calls stiff necked. When, when, you know, you know how you're sitting there and you're like, pastor gets on this one subject. You're like, oh God, here we go. You're dull of hearing. You heard it. <laughs> See, I want you to understand, my desire is for you to grow. My desire is for you to be successful in the things of God. My desire is for you to see the fruit. It is, it is hard sometimes to watch people. There are some people, you know, the Bible says to comfort the feeble-minded, not to counsel the feeble-minded. There are some people, boy, if you let them, they'll be in your office every single day needing counsel. And that shows they're feeble-minded, which they just need to be comforted. You know what comforting is? They're there. It's okay. You'll be okay. God loves you. Now, get out of my office. Come on. Let's go. All right. Love you. Bye. And they drop down and crawl. And you just wave at them on the way out. Because they're on assignment. They're on assignment to wear you out. They're not there to get an answer. Because if they were to get an answer, they'd have got the answer the first time you told it to them. Maybe if they missed it the first time, they'd have got it the second time. By the third and fourth or fifth time, I refuse to counsel people more than three times on the same subject. If I have to talk to you three times about the same thing, you are looking for a garbage can to vomit into. You are not looking for help. 
Because I ain't going to sit here and tell you the same thing over and 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 over again. And you call it being a pastor. <laughs> if you was a pastor, you'd listen to me anytime. I know that's, I'm not your slave. <laughs> Think about this relationship for a second. Y'all sheep. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Feed you. Tick get on you, I get the ticks off you. When you grow some wool I can sell, then I shear you down to the nub. Right? And then if you run off to a place where you're not supposed to go, I hobble you. In case you don't know what hobble is, you, you ever see one of those wonderful pictures of Jesus carrying the sheep on his shoulders? And all you go, oh, that's so awesome. Look at Jesus. He's carrying his sheep. What they don't tell you is that sheep's leg is broken. And he broke it. That's why he's carrying it. Otherwise, he'd say, come on. And the sheep dropped down to his knees and crawled. That's the part you don't understand. Is the reason why it's around his neck is because he broke its leg so it would not do it again. Well, pastor's too tough on me. No, I'm breaking your leg so you can live. Sometimes messages are tough. <laughs> like this one. <laughs> Y'all, I have prayed. I have prayed. I really have. And I said, God, give me some of them funny, you know, milky... You know, you're okay. I'm okay. Give me one of them. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Give me something that people, you know, they just, why do I always have to teach the tough messages? Because I prayed. He hadn't answered. So if he talks to one of y'all about it, let me know, because he ain't said a word to me. He just ignores me when I bring that up. Like, I ain't even talking. I do. I do know the answer. Because I know the plan. And I know what we're building. Y you ever, uh, whew, 58 minutes. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Uh. <laughs> I'll, I'll end with this. I know what we're building. And uh, how many of you ever heard uh, uh, this, the, the, the phrase, quit being a punk. Or so-and-so's a punk. Okay. The entomology of that word, or the, the root of it, where it comes from, is punk wood. And punk wood was used to ignite, or to it was used as kindling, or because see, punk wood, you couldn't build anything with punk wood. Because punk wood was dried out, rotted, and infested, and it just wasn't wood that you can construct anything with. And so a punk became a reference to a person who was useless. All they could be used for was being a hothead. Quit being a punk. Because all you could use it for was to light things with. 
And so they would have punk wood that they would light kindling or light fires with or light dynamite with, and it was called punk wood. And all you could use it for was to light things because you could not build. It couldn't stand the pressure of supporting a home or supporting a building or supporting a wall because it just wasn't no good. So when you know what you're building, you ain't got no room for punks. So look at somebody real big, smile. With all the ebullience you can muster and, and just tell them, quit being a punk. <laughs> because we know what we're building. And what we're building, we can't build it with punk wood. We can only build it with those who understand who they are and are able to walk in the fullness of what God has for them so they can pull on the same covenant that we all experience and have the blessing of walking in because the blessing is not in the stuff. The blessing is in me. And if he gives it to me while I'm sleeping, then the blessing is working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The blessing is on patrol. Whatever it is I have need of. If I have need of a job, the blessing will produce it. If I have need of money, the blessing will produce it. If I have need of a car, the blessing will produce it. If I have need of a home, the blessing will produce it. If I follow the plan, if I quit being so dull, if I quit being a Let me, let me just, one thing. I've watched people where I, I, I watch them get, you know, they get a car, they get a new house, they start getting stuff, right? Things start coming. And I'll warn them, I'll say, be careful. Because you better have the faith to pull on the covenant if something goes awry. Otherwise, it was Satan that brought you all this stuff. So that you would stop pulling on the covenant and start panicking and start pulling on people. Because Satan can move things into your hands to get you to start pulling on people and things around you, start getting you distressed and worried. How do you know when you're out of faith? You've lost your joy. That's why the Bible says there's joy and peace in believing. If you still have your joy, you still got your peace, you are still in faith. Devil, come what may. This car ain't going to pressure me. This house ain't going to pressure me. This job ain't going to pressure me. I got a job, don't have a job. I got a business, don't have a business. My blessing is not dependent upon the stuff. My blessing is dependent upon my relationship with God. And so as long as me and him are good, all things work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I will not be moved. But if you, you know, if you're losing your peace and your joy, you're out of faith. And if you're out of faith, you've allowed stuff to press you beyond your measure. And once you get pressed beyond your measure, you start putting pressure on everybody else instead of the covenant you have with God. I, w- I was having a conversation with a, with a pastor, uh, a very good guy, and uh, he said, I, I want you to come out and preach. 
He said, but I, I don't know how much money there's going to be. He said, we had somebody come, and we kind of spent the budget. He goes, but I heard that you might be able to come out. And he goes, and I want you to come. So what do you charge? So what do you mean, what do I charge? He said, well, you know, how much? Come on, man, nothing. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't have a fee. I don't charge anything. I don't put pressure on people. I put pressure on the covenant. Now, when I get out there and people start walking up to me, handing me $100 bills and $100 bills and $100 bills and $100. That's God moving upon their hearts. I put pressure on God. God puts pressure on them. So I don't have to tell him any number. He said it wasn't nothing. I'll still go if God tells me to go. Because if I do, he'll call somebody walk up to me in the airport with some money and say, here's some money. God's got a way of working things out. I put pressure on him. I put pressure on the covenant. I put pressure on God. I don't need the kindness of strangers. They're not my supply. He's a very honorable man for asking because some people bring in to preach and give you nothing and don't even tell you that's what they're going to do. So I'm really appreciative of him bringing that, but I wanted him to understand we don't do this for money, not from you. Because if I start arguing with you over what you're going to give me, then that's all I'm going to get. And because I'm believing God for greater, whatever number you come up with in your head, I'm believing God for more. So I'm going to let him handle it, and I'm going to go do what I do. See, that, that'd make you free. You don't believe me, do you? Watch this. Watch this. No, no. Let me show it to you. Do you realize that the first thing that happens when people get offended with me is they stop tithing? They stop giving. And then what they do is they used to sit up front and they start moving back. <laughs> right? And the next thing you know, they move their way right on out the door. It's, it's, it, it, I'm telling you the God's honest truth. That's what happens. And then, you know, nobody ever sends a tithe to a church they don't go to. But you want to know something funny? That's why a lot of pastors won't preach what I preach. Because they know that if they do that, people will stop tithing and stop giving, and they'll have to, you know, struggle financially. So guess what? If I really didn't believe that you are not my source, you, I would curtail what I say. But if you've been here at any length of time, you know I don't give a rip. <laughs> if it has to be said, it's going to get. Why? Because I've been set free and delivered. My pressure's on the covenant. God is the supplier of my need. God can tape a million dollars to a back of a donkey and send them flying through my backyard. I'm not saying he will. I hope he will. Minus the donkey. <laughs> you ever been around donkeys? They're a little temperamental, boy. So, anyway. Lest the Lord build it. I don't have time to waste. We better start discerning the season we're in right now. Because we're in tumultuous times. And God wants to be able to call upon the body and, and, and begin to develop things and begin to speak things and begin to use the body to do things that are going to bring in the end time harvest. 
There are souls out there that don't know Jesus. There's like 8 million people, or just under 8 billion people on this planet. It's like 7 point something, 463, something like that, 7.4, 7.5 billion people on this planet. Do you know there's like 4 billion of those people have never heard the gospel? 4 billion. It's funny because, and I'm trying to let y'all go, I really am. Somebody in here is pulling, so stop. It's uh, (laughs) a... Coca-Cola, in the late, I believe it was 60s, they said, we want to have Coca-Cola on every continent in the world. There have been missionaries that have been in the bush and said they've seen old, broken down Coca-Cola vending machines. In the bush. You, you, You know what I mean? Like, step over an alligator, cut a vine, Coca-Cola machine. Coca-Cola was able to do in 50-something years, circle the whole globe, what the gospel still has not been able to do. It's been thousands of years. If you didn't think there was a God, you have to believe there was a devil. Because only spiritual opposition could keep that from happening. Sugar water can run around the world, but the gospel can't. And the truth of the matter is, if you know there's a devil, then you've got to know there's a God. I don't want to use the devil as a way to know there's God, but you get my point. You back into this thing, you have to ask yourself, there's got to be resistance. I don't know about you, but they ain't giving satellites away. They're not giving away TV stations. If we're going to get the gospel out, it's going to take a committed group of believers that understand a responsibility, that realize we are building a house. There's a lot we have to do. And there's very little time to do it. And I'm not one of those people that tell you Jesus is coming back on the 25th of September and blah, blah, blah. That stuff is garbage. I don't even listen to that nonsense. But I am telling you, if you've got any spiritual discernment, we are in the end of the end. And whether or not you'll see it in your lifetime or whether our children will see it in their lifetime or whether it will be in the next lifetime, I don't know. But I believe there's a lot more uh, years behind us than there are ahead of us. we got a part to play. We got a role to play. We need you to stop building nonsense. And let's build a house. Amen? Well, Father, we thank you. We're so grateful for all that you are helping.